As we continue to worship together, if you have a Bible, I ask that you turn to Matthew chapter 6. And if you don't have one, we can provide one for you. Uh, And also the text will be on the screen uh, as we go along. We've been in the um, Sermon on the Mount series for several weeks now, seeing how uh, Jesus as the coming king, establishing his kingdom uh, by drawing the hearts of people close to him, how he changes our character, changes our motivations, uh, and actually gets to the heart behind of of how we live. Uh, And this good news changes everything for all of us. And so um, if you were here today and you were a believer, I hope that this is a time for us to worship and encourage one another to grow in the faith uh, and if you're here today and not a believer, I'm, I'm so glad you're here, and I uh, hope and pray that, um, that, that God would stir up your mind and heart to understand this good news and what it means for you, uh, because it certainly is good news. Uh, let me pray uh, before we get started, and then we'll, we'll dive into Matthew chapter 6. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning, a time to gather with your people, as your people, Lord, a time to celebrate who you are as a loving Father, a majestic king, a creator, a redeemer, a sustainer, and and Lord, to uh, celebrate what you're doing in our midst. God, I pray that you would be here with us by your spirit through your word this morning, that you would stir up our minds, attention, and hearts, affection toward you. God, that you would humble us, convict convict us of uh, sin and brokenness, but Lord, uh, let us see your grace in that. God, that we would lean in on you through your son, Jesus. I got to pray that your spirit would move in a mighty way in our hearts personally and this community of faith. Uh, and God, that you would demonstrate your good works uh, through this community of faith to the city and out to the nations uh, so that your son Jesus would be uh, glorified. God, I ask that you do these things in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, uh, we'll start in verse 5 as Jesus is teaching on prayer. It says this, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's word for us. Friends, gospel prayer cultivates within us the character of God, attuning us to his will and purposes as his children. And this is certainly good news for us and for those around us. I'm going to ask you today, how do you pray? Do you pray? And if so, how do you pray? Does the good news of Jesus have any impact on your prayer life whatsoever? 
See, often we neglect prayer altogether because if uh, you are a believer, sometimes it's easy for us just to get on autopilot and just kind of coast in the grace of the Lord and thinking we don't really have to pray to God or, or we don't really see the need or importance of prayer. Other times maybe we misunderstand what the purpose of prayer is and neglect the gospel part of it because we think we have to pray in order to X, Y, or Z. Maybe we pray out of obligation. Maybe we pray out of fear. Maybe we pray out of pride because we think we are so religious. So I want to ask you today just to to pause and think about how do you pray in light of the good news of Jesus? Do you pray? And if so, what is your motivation behind praying? Because the good news of Jesus uh, radically shapes and radically changes uh, not the methodology of prayer, but rather the heart behind it. See, prayer is, in essence, communion with God the Father. It's talking to your daddy. In fact, the words Jesus, is used here, uh, Jesus uses here is, is, is really an intimate connection to God as a, as a father, as a daddy. That's not necessarily how other world religions view God. And that even was not necessarily how uh, the first century Jewish culture understood God, that that you would have this this personal relationship that you could speak to the creator of the universe as a daddy. But you see, Jesus changes all of that for us. And this good news influences how we pray, how we can connect with God the Father, not in fear, not in obligation, not in pride, but rather as children coming before a father who loves us. And it's certainly good news. So today I want us to look at the Lord's Prayer in a couple different ways. This may be familiar to you. Maybe you've recited it your whole life or have heard it recited. Or maybe you do uh, recite it yourself as part of your um, prayer life, which is certainly good. But I want us to look at it a couple different ways. First, I want us to see what the Lord's Prayer that, that Jesus teaches here, what it tells us about God. Also, what it tells us about us. And also, how this changes everything for our prayer life. Because for you and I, prayer is not something we have to do, but it's something we get to do. It's not an obligatory thing we must do to some ethereal force in the sky. It's something we get to do to a Father who loves us. And it's certainly good news. So first I want us to see just a couple things that in Jesus' teaching here that he tells us about God. You see in verse 9, It starts with this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus, first of all, calls God a father. That changes everything for us. God is not some ethereal cosmic force detached and far away, but he is a father who loves his children and is providing for them and caring for them. Jesus says he's a father in heaven. That means that he is is otherworldly. He's not like the fathers here on earth, whether that be good for you or bad for you. He's not like that. He is a father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. That means holy. His name, his character is holy. God is unlike anyone you know. God is unlike anyone you've met. God's character is far beyond anything you can possibly imagine here on earth. And that is certainly good to hear. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God has a kingdom. He is a ruler. He rules heaven. He rules earth. 
It's not like God rules heaven and is detached from earth, but God is involved in his kingdom here on earth. And as God governs the cosmos, he governs life here on earth for us. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Do you know that God is a generous giver? That God is a generous provider? See, often we don't even think about praying because we don't see God as maybe a father, but we see him as a distant cosmic force. We don't understand maybe that God is a ruler here and now in the present. We think that maybe he uh, rules some heavenly beings far away, but we forget that he actually rules earth as well. We don't always see God as a generous giver, so therefore we don't always pray because we think if I need something, I'll take care of it myself. Rather not seeing that God is a generous giver, sustainer, provider. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do you know that God is a God of grace, a God of forgiveness? That there's nothing we have to do to appease the Lord in our prayer life or any other spiritual discipline, to appease him as some angry volcano God but rather he is a generous, loving, gracious father who offers forgiveness. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, deliver is a very big biblical word. It means liberation. It means freedom. It has great uh, weight with the first century Jewish culture whose history was riddled with times of oppression and slavery and exile. And and during the time of Jesus' teaching, they were occupied by the Roman Empire. God is a God of deliverance, of freedom. For you and I today, we as Americans take for granted many political and religious freedoms that we have because of the country in which we live, but often we can find ourselves oppressed and in bondage with sin and struggles and doubts and fears or maybe um, some sort of uh, physical, medical limitations, emotional or spiritual oppression. God is a God of deliverance, a God of freedom, a God who sets his people free from the bondage of Satan, sin, death, and ultimately from any physical, political, or religious restrictions that this world may toss upon us. So what does this mean for us? If God is indeed a father in heaven, if God is indeed a ruler over a kingdom and a generous giver and sustainer of all things, if God is one who offers gracious forgiveness and freedom and deliverance, what does that mean for us? You see, Jesus' words also frame, it, uh, frame this prayer in such a way that teaches something not only about God, but something about us. If God is a father, that means we are children. God is in heaven, but we are obviously here on earth. Jesus teaches that God has a kingdom, but that means that we are citizens. If God offers forgiveness, that means that in Christ we are forgiven If God offers deliverance, that means that we are ones who are rescued. So this changes everything about our prayer, does it not? If you could see God as a loving, heavenly Father, a generous, gracious kingdom ruler who offers deliverance, and you can understand that you are not some detached person, but rather you are a child, a citizen of his kingdom, someone who is forgiven and set free in Christ, does that not change how you pray? We can therefore not 
have to approach prayer as some obligatory thing or something we approach in fear, like there's some angry uh, beast in the sky who's going to strike us dead if we say the wrong word. It's not something that we do out of obligation or fear or guilt, but we can approach the throne of God through Christ, understanding that we are children of a father, that we are citizens of a kingdom, that we have been forgiven, and that we have been and are being and will be rescued. That excites me. But here's what we see happened in Jesus' day. He's teaching this in a context of people who are both religious and unreligious, irreligious, probably much like us today. Look what Jesus is saying, because there's, there's a gap here that we as humans experience in our prayer life. You know, there's a gap that we often neglect or either try to fill on our own, just like Jesus's, in Jesus' day. Look what he says here. There's a gap first with religious people. Jesus is teaching, he says this in verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. I say to you, they have received their reward. See, Jesus first addresses the religious people. He says, look, there are religious people that pray. They're, they're doing the work. They're baby-stepping. They're praying. But they're doing it out of wrong motivations, They're doing it out of the desire to be seen, the desire to be rewarded. You see, Jesus doesn't say, don't pray. He just says, don't pray like that. Don't have that motivation to be rewarded by what you are seen as doing, as being religious people. Do you find that creeping into your prayer life? To any spiritual discipline at all? Do you find yourself doing that out of religious pride? Saying, well, I want want people to think I'm religious. I want people to not know my dirty little secrets. So therefore, let me pray this way. Let me go to the synagogue. That's the place where people would come together for religious instruction. It would be similar to coming to a Bible study or to a church and say, well, I want to be prayerful in public so that people won't know about my heart. See, Jesus addresses the prideful piety of religious people. He even calls them hypocrites, which, which in, in the context, in the Greek word for hypocrite is somebody who's a stage player, an actor. It can mean somebody who has the great um, skill of put, literally, physically putting a mask before them so that they could act out a drama. There, there were male actors who would play female characters and plays and you wouldn't know because the costume and the mask or whatever. Jesus equates prideful piety of religious people to that, being a hypocrite, being a stage player, an actor, a counterfeit. Is that you? I mean, the gospel of Christ addresses our hearts. God himself is a loving father. Jesus says, God is a father who loves you as a child. Don't be an actor. God is a loving ruler of of a kingdom in heaven and on earth who cares for you. He's generous. He's forgiven. Don't put on a front. You don't have to be a, a stage player, a counterfeit. God knows your heart, and he loves you. He's a forgiving deliverer from that bondage that you feel like you must hide. See, religious people fill the gap with prideful piety. And that plays out in our context today, just like it did for the religious uh, Jewish first century synagogue attendees happens in churches and Bible studies in our context today. And friends, I want to let you know that the prayer of Jesus here tells us so much about God as a loving, gracious Father. 
Don't put on the mask and fear or pride. Jesus also addresses the uh, more irreligious folks in, in verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is anyone who's not a Jew. So, so just as the religious folks in this context are those who are acting like hypocrites and operating in prideful piety, the Gentiles were those who were empty phrases, meaningless talk, just babble that sounded good, just verbose, poetic, but no substance behind it. It would be like some random child that you don't know running up to you and just talking to you like he knows you, although you you don't know that kid. That may have happened to you. It happens. Kids are are weird sometimes. You know, if you go visit your kids at their school and and there's kids that you don't even know, they'll just come up to you and start talking to you and you're just like, I don't know who you are. (laughs) You don't tell them that, but if you do, that's mean. Shame on you. I don't know you. Get out of here. No. So, I mean, anytime I've gone to visit my kids at their school and I go eat lunch with them or something, random kids who I've never seen before will just come up and say, hey, you know what, I like dinosaurs. So? (laughs) But there's no connection there. There's no relationship there. And so in the same way, a a person who is not connected to the Lord, uh, like a Gentile, can just come up and just start heaping up empty phrases. There's no meaning. There's no relational content there. There's no connection It's just uh, like some sort of um, religious or maybe even not so spiritual event. Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. If we could be verbose enough spiritually, maybe then we'll have some connection to the divine. See, as Christians... Those who have been rescued and forgiven and supplied for and sustained by a loving Father through Jesus Christ. We've been invited from being orphans to adopted children. We've been invited to be in wayward strangers, to being citizens of a kingdom, for those who were condemned in our sin, to being forgiven, to those who have been in bondage, to being rescued. See, we don't have to put on the front like hypocritical religious folks. We don't have to come up with some divine, crazy, verbiose phrases in order to try to conjure up some sort of spiritual experience. We have a connection with God the Father through Jesus the Son. This is good news. We don't fill the gap on our own. Jesus fills it for us. In fact, he says so many things leading up to the prayer. See, before Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, look what he says starting a few verses prior in verse 5. He says, when you pray. Jesus is assuming prayer is going on. He's reminding his hearers as the very incarnate God, the very mouthpiece of God himself saying, when you pray, pray. He's, he's, he's assuming that prayer is going on there. He says it in verse 5. When you pray, he's reminding them, even before he teaches how to pray, he's reminding them of their identity. You get that? He's reminding them that you're not a prideful, pious, religious hypocrite. When you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, on the street corners, that they'll be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. 
Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father. See, it's important for us to know that Jesus calls God the Father even before he teaches how to pray. It's important to know that because we can often say, well, if, if I want God to be my Father, I must pray like this. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, God's your Father. Because he's your Father, pray like this. You with me? Religious, pious people think that they can connect to God like, I'm not a child of God, but I can be a child of God if I pray like this. The Gentiles of the day would heap up empty phrases thinking, maybe I can connect to the divine if I pray like this. Jesus does not say, if you pray like this, then God will be your father. It's so important for us to know that. He, he starts with the fact that God is your father. Changes everything. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So knowing that God is your father, knowing that you were a child, knowing that God is a king and you were in his kingdom as a citizen, knowing this great, wonderful, beautiful truth Jesus says in verse 9, because of that, pray like this. Friends, we have to get the order right. (laughs) It's my fear because it's so common for us to try to fill the prayer gap ourselves by thinking, well, I want to be a child of God. I want to be a citizen of the kingdom. I want to be forgiven. I want to be rescued. Therefore, I have to figure out this magic formula, this magic, how many times do I pray a day? What kind of words do I use? Because maybe God won't hear me. And friends, if that is plaguing you, that is a trap that you need to be delivered from in the gospel. God is your Father, so when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, we no longer pray in prideful piety, or empty phrases, but we pray with honest expectation as children, as citizens, as those who have been forgiven and delivered, expecting God to continue to be God, expecting God to continue to be a loving Father. We no longer pray as detached people trying to connect to the divine, but rather we pray as children who are connected to a loving Father together. I mean, I love how Jesus starts the prayer in verse 9 with our, our Father. It's not just your Father, it's it's our Father. We have a connection to God together as children, as a family. This should change your motivations in prayer. It should change how you personally pray to God because He is your Father, but it also should change how you pray with each other and how you pray for each other because we are siblings together in God's kingdom. We are citizens together in God's kingdom. So I asked you before to assess your prayer. First, do you pray? Secondly, if you pray, what are your motivations in prayer? Maybe your motivations to pray have been out of religious 
duty and pride and obligation. Maybe you neglect prayer altogether because you doubt that it works. Maybe you pray selfishly, thinking that the prayer really says, my Father in heaven, rather than our Father. Friends, you can pray to God, your Father, but also I would encourage you to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for those who are new in the faith. Pray for those who are longtime veterans of the faith. Pray for those who are not yet in the faith. Pray for those who are walking through a hard season of life, those who are walking through a great season of life. Pray for yourself. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. See, it's not that we pray like this so that God will hear us and love us and accept us, but rather we pray like this because in Christ we are loved and accepted. We don't pray this formula so that God will hear us. We pray this formula because he hears us. We don't pray this so that we will be in his kingdom. We pray because we are in his kingdom in Christ. And that is good news for us. A couple things I want to encourage you to do. And I put these, um, I write these out as my own personal reflection but I put them in the bulletin every time I preach because I just want to share with you to go a little bit deeper. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see it says uh, questions for reflection and discussion. And friends, those are, I don't make those up just on a whim. I, that's how I, I process what God's doing through the text in my own heart. So as I have been thinking and praying, I've been asking these questions of myself to try to dig deeper. Just like, Jeremy, what's your, what's your prayer life? What does it look like? What mo- motivates my prayer? And so I would encourage you to look at those questions and, and search this scripture and all of the scriptures and pray. Ask God to stir up uh, an understanding of what motivates your prayer. Does the good news of Jesus reorient you to God as your Father? Does it fuel your prayer habits? Community. What, what does the Lord's Prayer tell us about Christ's kingdom? What, what does the Lord's Prayer tell us about how we pray personally? How do we pray together? Some of the sweetest times of, of, of the faith and worship for me at this church over the years has been when we pray in our missional communities together. When we pray over one another, we've had people pray over us, we've prayed over other people over the past decade, we've had great uh, intimate times of worship and prayer through home group, uh, missional communities in our homes and, and through times here. Mission, what are some action steps you need to take regarding your prayer habits? In what ways are you praying for others? I would ask you to take some time and, and think about who... Do you pray for anybody? Do you, I mean, you may not. That's, that's okay. There's no guilt. But I think God would do some amazing things if we were to tune in to who he is as a father, as a king, as a forgiver, supplier, sustainer, rescuer. If we were to approach him with that understanding, knowing that we are children and citizens of his kingdom, if Prayer dials you in to what God is doing. And we're to, if we were to understand that we are to reflect God's uh, character to the world around us, we would be tuned in to be those uh, reflecting God's goodness around us. Do, do you pray f- for anybody? I, I would really encourage you to, to sit down and just ask God to lay on your heart people to pray for constantly. Get out a notepad and, and, and pray for people in this church, in the faith community that you know. 
those in your missional communities, in the workplace, those who, who are believers and struggling, those who are not Christians, maybe somebody you work with or someone in your neighborhood or somebody you go to school with or, or whatever. Maybe it's somebody that just does not know the Lord. And pray for them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Imagine what would happen if we were to grow as people of prayer in light of the gospel. Imagine how God would impact our lives personally, impact this community, and impact the mission of Christ in this city. I think it's definitely good news for us. As we do every Sunday, we're going to have a time of response in which um, there's a few ways you can respond If you are a Christian, if you're a believer, we would invite you to come and and partake in communion. It's the time for us to remember who Christ is and what he's done. You see, Jesus was not only a good teacher teaching us about God, he was God. And he lived a perfect life we should live and died a death in our place. He fills that gap between God and man. And we celebrate that with communion by grabbing the bread that represents his broken body and tearing off a piece and dipping it in either the wine or the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for your forgiveness. So if you are a Christian, we invite you to partake in in that uh, at the time uh, when that starts. There are other ways to respond as well. The worship team will come and lead us in music. You can respond by sitting and reflecting on the scriptures. You can sing along with the worship team. Uh, There's a giving basket in the back if you want to uh, give back to the mission of Christ through Redemption Church. And also there'll be folks in the back uh, who can pray with you, pray for you, If there is someone um, on your heart you want to pray for or pray with, uh, these folks can help you with that. Just look for the orange uh, lanyards that say, can I pray for you? And they'll be glad to to talk with you and pray with you um, about that. Um, And so as we uh, enter this time, I would just ask um, that you would stand right now. And um, Kate, if you could pull up the... um, verses 9 through 13, I would uh, like us just to recite the Lord's Prayer, this portion of the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, I don't want this to be um, an empty religious exercise. I don't want this to be uh, anything contrived, Uh, but it's the words of Christ that he teaches us and how we ought to pray. Um, So let's read it together as a prayer. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, thank you for this morning, a time to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that you would stir up the hearts of your people to know you more intimately, to love you, and God, to love those around us. Jesus, thank you that you have filled the gap for us, that we do not need to attempt to approach the Father out of pride and religious obligation, or nor that we can conjure up any kind of divine empty-worded thing, Uh, but Jesus, that you stand in the gap for us, that because of your work, you make us children of the King, citizens of the kingdom, that, that you grant us forgiveness and rescue. 
And God, as we uh, pray to you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would draw us closer to you intimately and closer to each other as a family. And, and Lord, that you would stir us up to good works of mission fueled by your spirit. God, tune us into who you are and what you are up to. Uh, God, I ask that you would even now during this time work in our hearts and minds for your glory, the good of your people, and that the gospel of Christ would advance. We ask in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen. Mm-hmm.